Thought Media Network is proud to present Cosmic Prayers, your weekly shift, Mondays at 11, Mountain Time, with your host, Laura Topper. The Cosmic Prayers, live from the UK. And now, here she is, Laura Topper. Hello, live from the UK. It's so great to be here on the Cosmic Prayer. How are we all today? I'm feeling so, so excited because today on the show, you're in the right place, by the way, you're on New Thought Media Network. And today on the show, joining me is Reverend Dr. Ruth Miller. Yes, thank you, Diego, for putting that up as our very special guest today. Dr. Ruth, Reverend Ruth, uh, said yes to coming on to this show a few weeks ago because I met her when I was uh, researching uh, for a class that I was taking and um, on New Thought Leaders, New Thought History, and I am just so, so overjoyed. And I love Dr. Miller and the work that she does in the world. And one of the things about Dr. Miller is that she is an absolute consciousness leader. She's, a, she's definitely a woman of power, somebody that, that has devoted many, many, many years to the involvement of consciousness on our planet through her work, through her research, through her teaching, through everything that she brings forward to life and through her books, of course. And Dr. Miller is an an expert and a lifelong lover, I know, of um, Emma Curtis Hopkins, who is the teacher of teachers. I've got my glasses on because I'm just about to read uh, from Dr. Miller's bio. She's taught dozens of classes and led countless workshops on new paradigms, systems, systems thinking, and futures research. I love that. I love having her here on this show and being able to talk about these things. As a minister ordained in New Thought tradition, she offers an interfaith approach to spiritual development. And on her homepage, Dr. Miller has uh, written, creating the life that we want requires asking very, very different questions with both our heart and our mind. And that is what this is all about, being open at the top to embrace life in its new emerging ways that uh, are coming through at all times. So uh, is Dr. Miller here in the Cosmic Prayer room? <laughs> yes, I'm going to have to here, move. Dr. Miller? Yes, you're coming Hello? on, you're coming through. Hello and welcome. Wow, that was coming through. I am so sorry. I have no idea what our links issues were, but they were. Oh. <laughs> It's okay so because we're linked. Yes, get yourself comfortable. Let me do one more thing. I'll be with you. That's okay. I'm going to just uh, just come back while you're getting organised, Dr. Miller. Just to to, to let everybody know that um, the book that Dr. Ruth Miller had sent me was called "Unveiling Your Hidden Power," and it's a book that is written about the uh, about Emma Curtis Hopkins and her work and her twelve. Uh, it's a twelve step uh, formula process that Emma Curtis Hopkins uh, used, or that Dr. Miller has 
broken this down into. And we're going to be talking about this book and Emma Curtis Hopkins and her work. So are you there, Dr. Miller? I am. Hi. <laughs> yes, you're here. It's so great to be with you. You're what a sweetheart. What a sweetheart. Indeed. Yeah. Wow. I, wow. We must have tried that link 25 times or more. <laughs> and you were meant to be here. <laughs> Thank you, my dear. Yeah. It's a pleasure. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Miller, Reverend Miller, how would you like me to? Ruth is fine. <laughs> Ruth is fine. Wonderful. Ruth. Thank you for being here because um, many people watch this show, whether it's live or whether it's on the recording afterwards. And I just feel so honored that you said yes and that you are here to talk about you and prayer. And I hope Emma Curtis Hopkins. <laughs> Happy to do that. I don't yes. to talk about anything without talking about Emma anymore. I've been sure. studying her for so many years. <laughs> How many years have you been studying her? Um, well, I first was introduced to her in 92, 93, and I didn't get how important she was then. It wasn't until just about 2002 when I realized the in incredible potential and, and possibilities in her work. I um, had gone through um, the book High Mysticism, sort of, and the other book, Scientific Christian Men of um, sorry, scientific Christian mental practice a little bit. And then um, I they were on my shelf, my spiritual bookshelf, and I was having a business situation where I tried to do something three times and it had fallen apart and I was doing my daily practice and I pulled one of those books off the shelf and I opened it at random as I often do. And it said, if a business endeavor has failed three times, it's because you have been thinking. And I went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You've been thinking dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Fill in the dot. <laughs> right. And, and it was at a, a time in the, the American political scene where everything that I had been taught to think was constantly being in my face. And I was going into judgment, judgment, judgment. And, you know, it was right on. It was absolutely right on. So I immediately, I, the next day, some of my students called and they said, we've graduated seminary, but we missed the coming together and studying. And I said, I have the book. <laughs> <laughs> So we started studying Emma Curtis Hopkins and, you know, her material is transcripts of stream of consciousness lectures. So her students take notes and then they type them up and then they publish them as Emma's lessons. So there's probably 10 versions of Emma's 12 lessons, Emma Curtis okay. Hopkins' 12 lessons. They all have different titles and most of them are published by different people. And so um, their stream of consciousness and she was deeply embedded in the literature of her time, but she also read Greek and Latin and German and a little Italian and as well as English. And she had been a high school uh, science teacher. And so, you know, she really got it. She was working between 1880 and 1920 basically was her period of time. 
So she's going along and she's referring to Antiochus, Antiochus or, you know, Plotinus or whoever. And, you know, Americans, who, who are these people, right? <laughs> and uh, so that piece plus the stream of consciousness makes it very difficult to parse her sentences and her paragraphs and her ideas. So doing it in a group helps a lot because we can hear it out loud. We can all kind of work with it, right? So I, I had like three groups going in 2003, 2004. And then I was, um, I was called to the East Coast. I live in Oregon. I was called to the East Coast. And the, um, uh, yeah, the groups wanted to continue. So what I started doing is sending them annotations of each, you know, of each lesson, 12 lessons. And I would do that. But I was writing three or four paragraphs for every paragraph of Emma <laughs> to explain wow. what it was it just said. And that was not efficient. <laughs> no. And I've and I've heard your because online you've got the 12 lessons and I've listened to most of them. I think I have two more left to listen to. Oh, and I'm they're delighted. so oh I've 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 been a good student. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I've been taking lots and lots of notes from your these lessons that you, you've been giving, and they're on YouTube, aren't they? They're mm -hmm. all there, one mm -hmm. to twelve. And what a beautiful process it is to have online for anybody that's that's interested in her work or that isn't interested and that stumbles across it. <laughs> it's beautiful because it really outlines her thought process yeah. week yeah. by week. And I love the symbolism that comes in with the numerology and the mysticism and, and all of it. It's just tied in so beautifully into these 12 packages. She is amazing that she has all of these depths to her thing. So this is yes. the book. This is the book we're talking that's about. That's the book. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's and, called Unveiling Your Hidden Power, and you can find it on Amazon and all those normal places. Right. All usual yeah. places. We yeah. actually, I actually sat down and wrote it. Of course, after I did this thing of trying to annotate things. So um, what I did is I took um, her book High Mysticism, which is the last book that came out in her name, and which we think she actually wrote. <laughs> and Scientific Christian Mental Practice, which is one of the first books that came out in her name and is, in fact, transcripts of lectures. And then there was another little book that we know she wrote called Resume, which was a guide for her advanced students on how to practice in high mysticism. And I put the three of them together in this one. Oh, to, I see. To be able to make sense of all of her lessons. Okay. So, Scientific Christian Mental Practice was one she did early on for her students when she was still pretty close to the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy, which is, you know, I've got her Where started. Where she came from. Yeah. Uh, she, had, you know, she, she was living in New England during the 1880s, and um, she and her husband and her son and her sister were all living on her husband's salary and it turns out are you ready for this we had student loans back in 1880s wow so, so most of his income was going to pay off his student loans and because <laughs> i was a married woman she wasn't being allowed to teach in the 1880s oh my god we, we just don't teach. realize how limited we were back then <laughs> she exactly. wasn't allowed to teach that's right Gosh. so there's no way she could contribute to their income right and um then 
you know, a, a neighbor invited her over for tea. Mrs. Eddie was the honored guest. Emma went, oh, yeah, I don't think so, and went home. <laughs> and a few months later, she and her family had one of those respiratory illnesses that was going around all the time. Now, think of 1880s, unpaved roads, right? No vacuum cleaners, animals mm. everywhere, open fireplaces, chimneys belching for factories, right? Mm. There was, of course, people were having respiratory issues. Yeah. Right? But mm. the whole family came down with something in October of 1884. And the neighbor who had been studying with Mrs. Eddy came over and said, can I, can I help? Please let me help. And only when nothing the doctors did worked did Emma finally give in and said, okay. And 24 hours later, the whole household was well. <gasps> It's incredible, you know, because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about all the technology that we have nowadays, not just the medical technology, but, you know, what we're doing now with, with Zoom and Facebook and how we, becomes, we, we kind of become reliant on this technology to reach people and to get our message across and, to, you know, all sorts of things that we're doing in our businesses and whatever. And yet here's a woman who... If we could only go back to that and live from that, we actually wouldn't need this, would we? <laughs> so, no. no. <laughs> it just nope. kind of really, that just grounded in with me there and then. She Love the whole that. household there yeah. and then. Yeah. I Incredible. So then, Mary, yeah, of course, Emma said, I got to figure out, find out about this. She immediately wrote a letter to Mary Baker Eddy saying, I've had this experience. I want to learn from the teacher herself. Will you let me come to classes? Now, she was living in New Hartford and, and Mary Baker Eddy was in Boston. So she was going to commute from New Hartford, Connecticut to Mary to Boston for these classes. And then this is how we know there were student loans. She, you know, Emma said, and we have no funds because all of our money is paying off this loan. Can I pay you from the proceeds of my first practices? Okay. Yeah, as a practitioner. And Mary agreed. So Mrs. Eddy allowed you know, Emma to come in as a class. Mrs. Eddy allowed Mrs. Hopkins to come into class. And there was a six-week training program, which um, Emma graduated in December of 1884. And by February of 1885, she had advertisements in um, Mrs. Eddy's journal that she was sending out not yet the right. christian science monitor that was later this was okay. what is now called i think it's still called the christian science journal and so emma had ads in there and she had submitted a couple of articles with it by may she was the editor of the christian science journal and then that went on for several months and it was a very wonderful arrangement. She would, you know, commute into Boston for a few days and then go back home to be with her family and then commute in. And she was doing some practitioner work and she was writing articles and she was editing articles and, and everyone was very happy until October of 1885 when suddenly Emma was told, no, you can't come back. We're, we don't have room for you anymore. And no, you're not the editor of the journal anymore. And we pushed out. She had done something. And what mm -hmm. we think is the September, the third or fourth week of September, the issue was 
you know, full of all kinds of good things. And one of the things that Emma had written in her editorial was, quote, among the great mystic writers, Mrs. Eddy shines the brightest. Now, you'd think that would be fine, <laughs> except that at that particular point, Mrs. Eddy had become aware that a lot of her students were going off on their own, doing their own version of what she had taught. Okay. And she felt that was diluting the message mm -hmm. and that it was making them less effective. And then it was showing back on her not effectively, right? It yeah. was making her not look good. So she, that fall was when she said, no more. If you are going to teach this material, you have to teach it as Christian science taught right. by me. And so that was part of what happened was Emma got cut off because she was familiar with Plotinus and all these other yeah, and going her own way and putting her own slant on it and knowing that God works through everything <laughs> right on yeah. well, she, knew it. she yeah. knew it she was puzzled but she never ever said a negative thing about Mrs. Eddy or the organization or anything she always called her her wonderful beloved teacher which mm. I think is an indicator of the power of this work right so, so can I interrupt, but, not, not to interrupt, sure. but just, just to ask you a question here on that, just about prayer. To what degree was, uh, would you say that um, Emma Curtis Hopkins used prayer for her own, I, I mean, spiritual yeah. mind treatment, whatever you want to call whatever it, affirmative call it. prayer. Right. Yes. So, How prevalent yes. was that in her, in her teachings? Right. It, it is. Okay, being in union with the divine is the core of Emma's teaching. How we do it is going to vary um, depending on where we come from to get there, okay? So lesson one in both Emma's work and in Mrs. Eddy's work is what they call the statement of being. And that is we are, we are one with a divine power that is the creative source of everything and that is good in all its expressions and in every way it shows up, including us and everything that happens to us. And so this is the number one statement that everything is based on. Well, if you're getting into that place, you're already partway into that state of being I call prayer, right? And That's the first know, step of a, of a spiritual mind treatment. It is the first step. It has to be. You have to start with the realization that all that exists is good, period. Now, one of the things that I've done, partly based on the Emma work, I think you can see that without too yeah. many reflections, no, is this funny. little book, because this little book, it's my version of the British Book of Common Prayer, <laughs> the Anglican book. I'm calling it the Book of Uncommon Prayer. And it exists because it's a step-by-step -step process for getting into the space where prayer works. Oh, okay. that's beautiful. So, you know, the opening lines are, you've, you've been taught that prayer is, well, I say, despite what most of us have been taught for most of our lives, prayer is not words, thoughts, or actions. All right, and that's the beginning. Because what it's Anna feelings. It's a state it's a, of being. A being. A state we are aware of it through our feelings. Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so we're going to enter into a state of being in which we know that all that exists is good. It is all God. It is all the divine essence become manifest. And there is no room in that for any other way of being. And you can say it as there is only one power, there is no room for any other power. So lesson two, lesson one is understanding it's all good. Lesson two is dealing with all the other stuff that comes up. But what about this? And what about that? What about COVID? And what about the politics? And what about this? You know? So lesson two is saying when those thoughts come up, you need to remember the truth and negate those thoughts, deny the reality of those thoughts. Those thoughts are not real. Those are what you have been trained to think. We can relate back to the Course in Miracles and say those are ego thoughts. Those are the small mind. Your true mind, your true self knows this truth. Okay, so may I ask you just right here, because I had a question for you, one that's been on my mind for a while, knowing and listening to... Um, the videos and hearing you often and often saying, you know, talking about denial. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you what you feel, how you feel about denial in, in relation to, is it a spiritual bypass? Right on. So denial as as we are taught in AA and the 12 step programs is, yeah, it's going on, it's going on, but I'm going to pretend it's not. I'm going to pretend it's not, it's not, it's not. Okay. Denial is a river in Egypt, right? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Denial is a river. Can you put that up, Diego, please? Denial is a river in Egypt. <laughs> so that's not what we're doing here. What no, we're okay. doing is saying, I see all of that, but that is my perceptual framework seeing yeah. all of that, okay? My job is to eliminate that aspect of my perceptual framework that allows me to see that because that is not real. Because the divine is real and the light is real and then the layer that we put there of the stuff that's what I call it. It's just a layer yeah. of stuff, yeah. which is 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 a layer in between what that we create. Yes. Yes. Or we yes. imagine, and it's not there. Right. We can get straight to that light, straight to the divine. Exactly. You know, I, I think of what what God has created is what is very similar to what movie makers use as a green screen. It we project onto what has been created. We project onto capital R reality, our notions of what should be. So, you know, there was a movie a while back called Men in Black. And in that movie, Will Smith is wrestling with a man-sized cockroach. But in actuality, he's on a ladder and there's nothing there. Right. So yeah. he can know the truth. There's nothing there. He's just there, you know, or he can get caught up in the appearance. I'm wrestling with a man-sized cockroach. <laughs> right. <laughs> so part of what I did when I realized my students really needed more was I wrote a section in the back of the of the you know unveiling book that is the science that supports her teaching. 
And I've written that in the back of another book that I did that is the series of New Thought Teachers, starting with Phineas Parker's Quimby, who invented or who discovered the mental healing process, all the way through to, well, Michael Beckwith and others of today. But in the back of both of these books, I go through, okay, scientifically, we can explain this this way. This is how it works. So for what that's worth, that might be useful. And I can pull that other one up so you can see that one. I think that's amazing that you've done that because, you know, times have, have shifted and changed and science is slowly, maybe, catching up, kind of. <laughs> and for people that may be for just first coming into this, it's a wonderful confirmation to say, well, you might not believe what I'm saying, but if you read this, you can understand it from another viewpoint. Right. So it helps to see that there are thousands of people who've had this experience. When Mrs. Eddy learned from Phineas Parker's Quimby, although later she denied it, early on we have advertisements where she's out there lecturing about him, okay? Yeah. So he, she learned the process of mental healing from him. He learned it because he experienced it and, mm -hmm. then began, and then began to do a bunch of experiments. He was using very good scientific method and developed the approach, recognizing that it was our belief systems that were showing up in the body as symptoms. And that if we change the belief system, then we can begin to eradicate the symptoms. And so people would come to him sometimes only once, but typically over a three to six week period, he would never do any manipulation, never do energy work, anything like that. He would sit with them and with the Bible, which was the number one source of beliefs at that time, and walk them through undoing the belief system they were living from and replacing it with a belief system along the lines of what we're talking about now. Yeah. And, you know, having done that for so many people, he, you know, Mrs. Eddy at the time was Mrs. Patterson, actually Dr. Patterson. She was a homeopath. And um, she wandered around the country with her, her husband, who was a dentist, they went around New England and they would stay in a town for three weeks and they would treat people and teach people and then they would move on. Well, she had childhood injuries and they were still causing her problems. Quimby undid Eddie's or Dr. Patterson's childhood pains and she was fine until she had a fall in spring, in February of 80, 76, excuse me. Am I right? Let me get everything. No, I'm backing. I'm too far ahead of myself. She had that fall in February of 67. He passed away in October of 66. She didn't know it. So now she's, she's up a crick. What is she going to do? So she holds up in a rooming house with a Bible and with her notes from Quimby, and she heals herself. And that then becomes the basis for, scientific, uh, for her book, um, you know, the... Yeah, I'm, I've lost it, just lost now. Eddie's book, Health and Scriptures, um, I'll get it in a minute. Anyway, so she does, you know, she begins to write her book, and in 75, she offers her first classes. And her first graduate is Mr. Eddie. So Dr. Patterson has divorced, Dentist Patterson is living from these teachings for like six, eight years, starts teaching them. In her first class is Asa Eddie. He says, hey, this is important stuff. I'll take you to Boston. We'll launch the college. And she marries him. And so the rest of the world happens. But in that world, then, 
she has taken Quimby's ideas and brought them more and more into the Bible. He was just working as a scientist. He yeah. thought he called it the science of Christ because he figured that that must have been what Christ had been doing. Mm-hmm. But she's the one who wove it into the Bible. Science okay. and Health with to the Scriptures was her book. And so then she was had been teaching in Boston for several years before Emma found her and the rest of that story. So Emma based her 12 lessons on Mrs. Baker's or Mrs. Eddy's 12 lessons. And then she evolved them over time. When, um, when Mary Baker kicked her out, when the whole organization kicked her out, a guy in Chicago said, hey, I'm going uh, on a round the world cruise. Would you please take over my journal? Uh, you did such a good job with Mrs. Eddy's. So Emma and the whole family packed up and moved to uh, Chicago. And uh, we see in the papers in Chicago advertisements, she's offering her services as a practitioner. She's making her home available for some students to stay in for the three weeks or three months, depending on whether they take the basic or the advanced training and so on. So she's in Chicago. It becomes a seminary by 1887. And in 1888, everything falls apart again, but she picks up. And in 1889, a new seminary is formed. And she continues there until 1906 when some folks in New Orleans said, can we have a seminary? And she says, yes, it's yours. And she packs it all up and goes off on her own for the next 14, 15 years. So that period from 86 to 1906 is the core of her teachings. And during that time, we have records of... um, 11,000 people being freed of their symptoms. Quimby had 12,000 in the 12 years he practiced. And he exhausted himself, didn't he? He did. He did. He didn't take care of himself. No. Yeah. But she took care of herself. Um, And so in 1906, she packed up her one suitcase. And that's what she lived out of until um, 1925, April of 25. She lived out of one suitcase. Mm -hmm. That's basically what I'm doing right now. (laughs) But I'm not Emma Curtis Hopkins. (laughs) But (laughs) But I know what it's like. (laughs) Her theory was the more mystical you are, the less material you are. Oh, so I'm doing the right thing then. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Oh, this is is so interesting. And I'm... I'm just wondering for where where you would see Emma if Emma were here right now. Yeah, right. She would. Yeah. Be- what would you What would you say? Yeah. What would she be saying about all of this that's going on? That you know, the, the the new paradigm that is emerging before us right now. Not that there isn't always a new paradigm emerging. Well, <laughs> what do you think this was happening? It's it's so much in in this whole body of literature she was drawing on. That you know, it was New Age. The word New Age came into being um, in the 1600s, I think. That a New Age was unfolding, and mm-hmm. the founding of the U.S. was part of the New Age that was unfolding. And um, so she would not be surprised that it is happening. She would be surprised that it took so long. I think because <laughs> it's a hundred years after she passed on now, almost. Right. <laughs> Um, but, you know, she saw 
what she created were with those 11,000 people, she created over 500 Hopkins associations, inviting people to go out, make these ideas their own and train other people. And during the Chicago World's Fair, she created a booth at the Women's Pavilion for women to learn this material and to be able to go out and care for themselves and others. So her expectation was that she had seeded this exponential thing, because probably by the time she passed on, there were 50,000-ish people working with her material. And she, in 1918... Wow. So they were practitioners. They were and her practitioners, really. Mm-hmm. And That's she right. trained them. And they did they teach others, or were they just didn't yeah. stop there? No, that was her goal, was that you, oh. in order to do this and be this, you needed to teach it, because in oh. the right lesson 10 lesson 10 says to do this you have to be able to teach it it. so she was teaching people and she expected them to become the teachers so it would just ripple out from her exactly and so she's called the teacher of teachers because the founders of unity and religious science and all the other founders all learned from her none of them were yeah inspired totally on their own of course they were all partially inspired through their lives but mm-hmm. she was she gave them the structure and the framework to move forward. And they all created schools. They did not create churches until their students demanded it. That's what happened with Ernest Holmes, isn't it? Exactly. And it happened, didn't with want it. it happened with divine science. It happened with all of them. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the idea was that these were schools and study groups and practitioner groups and and that you know the idea the the concept would be filtered out into the world through it incredible incredible so she knew on so many levels that this would be happening right now yep yep and you know i when i began to really understand the material and i began to find some of the other names i realized even my grandmother who had been a methodist a very powerful methodist um, and dean of a women's college in Illinois probably had met one or two of Emma's students and had been doing some of this work because I recognized some of the books from her shelf. Gosh. So what what was she, was she teaching the 12 steps when she was teaching? Emma. She, Emma when Emma was teaching her practitioners, she was teaching this 12-step process. That's right. She taught That's, it. Okay. So this is a, and, like a formulated system that she had and she right. created it and she was teaching it and passing it on. Right. She learned some of it from Mrs. Eddy and then she developed it further and every version of it is developed a little further. That's why I made it a point to have high mysticism, the last version of it, be the core of this book. Okay. And then I wove the 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 uh, practice material out of scientific Christian mental practice and then the study guidelines from resume into that. But high mysticism is a very mystical piece. And as I said, it's stream of consciousness with lots of references that most Americans are uncomfortable with. I was very fortunate. I grew up, you know, in a household with people who were familiar with a lot of this. So it wasn't as hard for me as it might have been for many people, others. Yes, because it spoke spoke to your speaks to your heart and your intellect. All of it, absolutely. 
And so to get back to Emma and prayer, which was the question yes. you asked. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. She spent a lot of time in that deep state of consciousness that is often called prayer. Um, she tells stories in her various lectures of a woman or a young practitioner or a mother, right? And as I look at what I know about her life, I can see which ones are clearly autobiographical. And one of them is about the time that the young mother went on her knees for three days looking for funding for her son's education. Well, yeah, three days before she got up and went back into life. All right. That's prayer. And it turns out she did have a son and her son ended up in the Merchant Academy, which is a free education. So he, yeah, he did get the education that he longed for. He was able to get in. He was able to have it paid for and um, the Merchant Marine Academy. And uh, he worked as a merchant marine until he contracted an illness in Venezuela. She went down to try to help him, but it was too late when she got there. Wow. Three days. Do you think, though, that right now, I mean, oh, it depends on our consciousness, doesn't it? Three days seems like a long time. <laughs> but on the other hand, if that's what it takes, because we are constantly... Um, we keep affirming and we keep praying until the demonstration occurs. Yes. So she was just doing it all in one time rather than bits and pieces in a day. <laughs> you know? yeah, but for that particular thing, I, I just noticed the banner across. I think I see what our communication issue was. He doesn't have the L in my email. See, my name uh, is L Miller. That's so. my fault then because I passed the email address on without your without the L. I'm sorry. <laughs> that explains why we weren't communicating. That's it. You found the missing piece. <laughs> there we are. Thank you, Diego. <laughs> so I have a question for you. <laughs> there we are. Thank you. <laughs> um, so would you, first two questions. First of all, one about um, Emma Curtis Hopkins. Was she fulfilled through prayer? Was that the main the main core of her work? Was teaching teaching how others how to use prayer effectively, and that's what the twelve steps are really about. All right, again, defining prayer differently. She is very explicit. You will never get what you want by begging God for it. No, and I understand that. that. I'm not coming. Prayer. Yeah, it's not a beg and a plea. This is affirmative. This is spiritual mind treatment, getting to the mental cause. Getting to the place where you know the truth and claim the truth and hold the truth regardless of appearances. Yeah. Then you experience the truth, which has always been there. Yes. So prayer is the means of dissolving the blocks to experiencing what has already been there. Yes. It's always there. Life is always there. Well-being is always there. Beauty is always there. Wisdom is always there. Any other experience is a function of our mental framework, not a function of the reality. Yeah. 
Okay. So, yes, her fulfillment was sharing this knowledge and being this, this state of being. She had a relationship, a friendship with um, a woman who was a socialite in New York. And uh, someone who wrote the biography of the socialite ended up sharing some of their letters. And there were many times where Emma would say, oh, I cannot express the beauty when I just, sometimes when I just lay back on the bed in my room, the incredible, amazing universe we live in. (laughs) You know, she, she would go into that rapturous, ecstatic, mystical state, better drop of a hat. And then she would come back up and she was a very prim and proper lady. You know, when Ernest met her, he wrote to his brother and he said, Ernest Holmes, he wrote to his brother Fenwick. And he said, yes, you know, she was in the black lace of, you know, years past. Her absolutely white hair, violet eyes. She even had her hat and gloves on when she, you know, admitted him to the room that she was working in. And, uh, you know. That was the way she was functioning. But yes, she and and the other thing that I heard was that she would be totally engaged, totally loving, totally the the presence, right? While yeah. she was teaching. And then when it was over, she would go back into the prim and proper Victorian lady. Okay. <laughs> yes, because she was just expanding out to teach her word, to say it, and then she had to go back and be within herself. I understand that. Amazing. So what is, what do you think Emma's main intention was? To be the truth and to facilitate everyone experiencing it. Once she got that the life circumstances that people were living was not the truth of our lives or of our world, you know, then it it was all about helping mothers to see that and know that. Yes. Um, and it's not a, it's not always a simple. I mean, I can now it's not easy for that for that to be that practitioner. So I can imagine then that must have been like so many barriers and so many levels of consciousness to get through and belief systems to get through, and being a woman as well. That must yeah. have been quite a difficult task I can see why you're saying that but actually I think it's the other way around you think is it was well, it? well we have you know we have our our technology we have our social structures that are far more complex in many ways we have being in the workplace and being at home we have you know all access to so many other ways of thinking I'm finding it harder for students to get to break, find their way back through all of these things to the core. For her generation, that was the Bible. That was it. Yeah. And it was either rightly interpreted, interpreted, or it was interpreted in a way that caused harm. And so all she had to do was help people see how it had been interpreted in a way that caused harm and how it could be rightly interpreted to be understood. So she was a metaphysician. She was Absolutely. she was teaching people to see the Bible from a meta- metaphysical perspective and to come out of the dogma. Yeah, to to be aware that what if they had grown up in, you know, hell and damnation, 
There was no basis for that in the Bible. If they'd grown up in miserable sinner, there is no basis for that in the Bible. Yeah, so she would help them see that. But more than that, she would help them to focus on the, the truth. Okay, so Emily, um, yeah, Emily Cady, Harriet Emily Cady, was one of her students and wrote Lessons in Truth, which is based on the same lessons. They're modified, made her own, which Emma would have been very happy. Yeah, um, when Hypatia Hasbrook came in years later with her positive prayer in the unity world, um, she was building on Emma's lessons and making them her own. But it's all that realization that what is true mm -hmm. is all these qualities of the divine, everything that Jesus embodied, everything that Jesus described his father as, that's truth. And anything else is some person's mental framework being imposed on that, creating a green screen, you know, life-size cockroach. <laughs> Amazing. I've, I feel like I have so many questions here for you. <laughs> I could be here all evening with you. Talking. <laughs> it's just incredible. So um, uh, what I was going to ask was, um, yes, just I'm going to ask you one last question before we, before, if you wouldn't mind reading a prayer or saying a prayer. Okay. Yeah. Um, what uh, what made you out of all of these teachers? What was it that? Why was it Emma for you? When I started working with her, as I say, it was this. Oh my goodness, she's speaking directly to me. She's got something I haven't seen anywhere else. At that point, I'd already been in the ministry ten years, and I had been studying in unity and religious science as well as divine science. I had it published articles in the Divine Science Journal. I'd attended the International New Thought Association. I'd been connected with the folks who were creating the Association for Global New Thought. I mean, I knew this material pretty well. And what I felt was everybody else had some percentage of the material that Emma had, that everyone had taken the part they could connect with and offered it, which was wonderful but that she had, you know, something more like 95% of the package, right? And so I kept having to go back to her to fill in the holes. I have translated the works of Emily Cady, Florence Scovel Shin, Thomas Troward, uh, you know, James Allen, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, and I haven't been, a, I can't do Ernest Holmes or Charles Fillmore because they're in the copyright, but I have brought some of their right, you know, these people's writings into 20th century language, 21st century now. And, you know, I'm really familiar with what they have to say. <laughs> Nonetheless, they don't say as much as she does. They are not as complete as what she offers. And so I keep going back to her. I just finished a one-year sequence of the 12 lessons with a group of pretty advanced practitioners and they were blown away by the depth and the power of what it is she has to offer. Do you run these classes online for anybody that's watching now if they want to take part in a class? I'm beginning to think I have to. Oh yeah, I'm signing up. 
Thank you, Laura. <laughs> well, I, well, for anybody that wants to, you know, they can dip their toe and listen to the 12 that are on YouTube, which are just amazing because I, I'm learning so much from them and, and there's so much information in there. Uh, to be with you in person, that would be another experience totally. Thank you, my dear. Yeah. So, Ruth, I'm just so, so grateful for you being here today and, and shining your light and Emma's light on the world in such a profound way. And, I, and we could go on. And I, I hope that you come back to the Cosmic Prayer to talk more and more deeply about Emma and you and prayer and how, how we can change our lives from these teachings we can Indeed. change our lives, can't we, by we can. the way that we think and perceive and what we know as truth. And not just our own lives. One of the no. things that Emma taught was the world around us begins to align itself on what we know to be true. And so if we know divisiveness, duality, all of that, that will be our experience. But as we begin to know at a deeper level, the deeper truth of oneness, of wholeness, of love and beauty as what is real, then the world begins to show up that way more and more. And that's certainly been my experience. Yes. And mine too, in, in many, many different ways. Yes. It's beautiful. So would you like to share a prayer from your book? Oh, or would yeah, you like I'll to speak a prayer? Or speak one, but you know, how about I do whatever you feel like? I'd share it with you, but I just feel that you have so much richness there in your heart. It would be beautiful to hear something. I'll do a little bit of both. How's that? Yeah. So I normally work from my workbook version of this, but I will work from the text today. Okay. In lesson seven, we have spent the first six lessons working on ourselves, beginning to wake up our own experience, our own understanding, developing access to our power, the power that we have as we have the confidence to command the world to be what we know to be true. And then lessons seven through 12, she's addressing this to the world around us. And lesson seven parallels lesson one, where we know the truth. So, here is what she says in lesson seven to a client who's coming the first time. We know the truth of your being, okay? You are spirit. Therefore, you are not afflicted with any kind of disease or distress. I see you in spirit as the health that you are. The spirit knows nothing of imperfection. The spirit shines through all your being with its clear, holy light. From first to last, in your real life, no error has fastened upon you. Therefore, there is no disease or imperfection in you. Nothing can spoil universal health. You were not born of flesh according to the laws of flesh, but of spirit according to the law of spirit. So any apparent lust or greed or attachment to material objects of generations before you cannot have descended upon you in disease or illness or distress. God, 
the good that is in everything is your father and mother. You cannot have inherited disease or distress. The collective belief has not touched you with thoughts of lust or greed or attachment, and therefore the collective disease does not touch you. God, the good, enfolds you completely. People with whom you are associated do not burden you with their thoughts and beliefs of the senses. You are not subject to the thoughts or feelings of others. Therefore, you cannot have disease in your mind. Your own thoughts of things, of matter, or about attachments or appetites have no power in them to give you disease or distress. You are in the spirit, free, and therefore you are cleansed by the spiritual thoughts flowing through you now and are well. You are free from all thoughts of disease. God, your good is your life. You cannot be threatened with death of any part of your life, nor can you fear death, nor yield to death of any part of your life forever. God is your health, omnipresent. You cannot be threatened by disease, nor fear disease nor yield to disease in any part of your body forever. God is your strength. God is your substance, the essence of your being. Therefore, health is God in every part of your body. You are clearly and Holy Spirit. I see you as wisdom. I see you looking toward me to speak of your heavenly wholeness and peace. I see you as peace, facing me as peace that the world cannot take away. I see the child of God that you are, well, whole, wise, and peaceful here, now, and always. And so it is. And so I say, Amen, blessed be. Ah, Amen, and so it is. Thank you. Thank you thank for being you. here, and thank you for sharing in such a deep and powerful way, Ruth. I'm just so grateful for your presence here and for you bringing Emma to the Cosmic Prayer. It means thank a lot to me. Thank you. My pleasure. Blessings on you and all your beings. Oh, and Dr. Ruth Miller, uh, Diego, if you would kindly put up Dr. Ruth Miller's e e details again, uh, the website where anybody can find you and contact you from there. And you're on YouTube as well with these beautiful videos. And for everybody listening or who might catch this later, you're on the Cosmic Prayer, which is New Thought Media Network. And there is a link if this has touched your heart and you feel like... Um, giving a love offering to this wonderful network, please do so. Your all, all love offerings are welcome. There we go. The PayPal button's going across there. All right. And Thank just you. because it has an email address up there, let me say that my website is www.ruthlmillerphd.com. It's just ruthlmillerphd.com. Thank Fantastic. you so much.
I'm so glad to have had this time with you. Blessings. Thank maybe. you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. <laughs> there we are. Thank you, Dr. Ruth Miller. What an amazing cosmic prayer that has just moved me and touched my heart in such a profound way. And I know that if you're listening to it or if you catch up with this, that it will you too. An incredible, incredible, beautiful woman. Thank you for being here and for being on the cosmic prayer. Until next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Prayer, your weekly shift with Laura Topper on the New Thought Media Network. If you've enjoyed this programming, please tell a friend and join us again next week for Cosmic Prayer, your weekly shift with Laura Topper.